Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is Paused Reviews. Hey, welcome back one and all to another episode of the Pause Reviews Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Frank, joined by my trusty co-host, Tim. Welcome, Tim. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, round two of using the new gear. Let's see if, if it works out. You sound gorgeous to me, like even better than last week. Listen, like, Tim, I'll never get tired of hearing you say that. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I, I'm blown away right now because last week I was like, yeah, n- now it sounds really good. Yeah, yeah, I think we're getting there. Yeah. We're really starting to get that professional sound Good yeah. quality, consistent. Last and week was a little bit, like I said, like being at the eye doctor when you're like, how about now? And I was like, eh, one was a little bit better than two, you know, but three maybe was worse than two. And I think I, I think we've got it figured out. I think it's good. That's it, man. Just dial awesome. it in. Just dial it in. Well, and hopefully it works out really well this week because I'm super excited. So we're doing another rewind. And this week we're making our rewind special for yep. Veterans Day. So, But not just Veterans Day. And as one of these movies taught us, the 10th was the Marine Corps birthday. Yep. And November 11th is Veterans Day. So we're doing a Veterans Day special. And we're going to be talking about three war movies. We'll call them mili- military military, military yeah. movies. So we're talking about Jarhead. Uh-huh. We're talking about The Great Escape. Yep. And we're talking about A Few Good Men. But it isn't just us talking about these movies, Tim. Yeah. Tell, we, tell the people. Some, we've got some special guests. Maybe some more insider knowledge from the military side that, that we're bringing into the fold for this one. Yes. I am so excited. We're going to be joined with two special guest hosts, Lisa and her husband, Ian, who are the hosts of the Damn the Torpedoes podcast, which you can listen to on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. They have a podcast that, you know, talks about navigating through married life from a military couple's perspective. Ian is active duty military. And so we thought it would be great if they would join us here to talk movies and lend us some of that perspective of being in the military, but also being married to someone in the military and experiencing the life as a spouse, civilian, all that kind of stuff. So hopefully that gives a little more legitimacy to to what we're doing here this week. And I'm so excited to welcome them. They are awesome, awesome people. I think this episode is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited. I think um, we did, we let them kind of make some movie suggestions for this episode. And I think they picked three really different movies. And so it wasn't like watching three war movies in a row. We've got some really three really different things to, to talk about. And I think they actually all interplay really well together. There's some, there's some stuff to play off of all three of these movies. Um, so I, I'm really excited to talk about these. Yep. I agree. So without further ado, let's get them in here. And by in here, I mean in the Zoom meeting because we are socially distanced because we're responsible adult human beings who understand the importance of protecting our fellow humans. So with that, let's bring let's bring them in, uh, and please join us in welcoming our guest co-hosts, Lisa and Ian. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We are thrilled, thrilled to have you. We're thrilled to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Why don't you guys tell us a little bit about you and your podcast? What's it about? And and just whatever. Just tell us whatever. Tell us whatever you want the people to hear. 
we love each other so much that we started a podcast to talk about our relationship and what it's like to be a military couple. I enjoy listening to podcasts and I was out there looking for a military spouse podcast. And when I couldn't find one that included the active duty service members perspective, I thought it would be a great idea for Ian and I to kind of put our thoughts on record and just know that there are other families out there in in our position who are probably having the same types of conversations as we are. So we talk a lot about relationships, marriage, kids, family, careers, deployments, um, moving. And I think it's something that any family and any, any relationship can relate to. So it's not just for military families and military couples. That's a hundred percent what I realized when I was listening to it and my wife listens to it now. And we totally bought in because you're absolutely right. I, I think some people may see the military perspective bit and that for me just added flavor. Like I totally related to what you guys are talking about. And I think it absolutely would speak to anybody in a relationship. Where can people get it? Damn the Torpedoes podcast. So we are available anywhere where you can find your podcast and where you listen to podcasts. And we are on Instagram at damn the torpedoes underscore underscore podcast and on Facebook as well. And you can also find us at damn the torpedoes podcast dot buzzsprout dot com. Awesome. Well, definitely recommend it. Uh, so go check them out, subscribe, share it, all that good stuff. Yeah, thank you. So let's jump into some of these movies. Like yeah. I said, we watched Jarhead, we watched The Great Escape, and we watched A Few Good Men. Let's start with Jarhead. Rated R from 2005. It's based on Anthony Swafford's memoir of the same name, which is also Jake Gyllenhaal's character. That's who he's portraying. I don't know. Initial thoughts. I guess out the bat, what did you guys think, Lisa and Ian? What did had you guys seen Jarhead before, and what were your thoughts on it? So I deployed to Kuwait uh, in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2003, and the first time I saw Jarhead, so Jarhead came out 2005. Correct. Yeah, 2005. So I first saw the movie in 2006 or so, I think, and I had a little trouble with it. Um, so it was filmed in the Imperial Desert in California, or Imperial Valley, but I thought it was legit. Like, I thought it was on set in Saudi Arabia or Kuwait. It's the most realistic movie about a wartime deployment to Iraq, and that, that the Iraqi area, not Afghanistan, but Iraq, that I've ever seen. It captures the boredom, the tension the frustrations you know the philosophical frustrations with military service um it's kind of slow moving and it's not what a lot of people expect or want in a war movie because i mean you want dead bad guys in a war movie right you want to punch a nazi mm -hmm. in the face yeah and that's not what modern military service is all about so i hadn't seen jarhead <clears throat> before we watched it for this show but i hadn't known a little bit about it because ian has talked about it before so I went into it understanding what it was about, but also understanding that this was a place that was special to Ian. I kind of went in, you know, feeling, okay, I know what this is going to be about. And I, overall, I liked it. And I don't know if that's because I knew it, it was relative to my husband or mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's, it's a war movie that isn't just killing and shooting and, you know, whatever people expect. Warheads on foreheads. Yeah. So I liked it. I agree with that too, in the sense of 
I, I liked how it was different. I think Sam Mendes brings that to the table. So kind of looking at it from the filmmaker's perspective, he did 1917. And that was another one where Tim and I actually did an episode on 1917 where our, our biggest thing was like, we expected one, like this massive World War One epic. And I felt like the trailer led to that. And then you get in there and it's a totally different story. It is so muted, but it felt very intimate and real. And I got that sense here too. And I think Sam Mendes at the helm really brought that home. And I think even, even visually, right? Like 1917 is a masterpiece of directing and cinematography. But here, I got to a point watching this movie where I was like, I need to put on sunglasses. Like, I felt like I had been standing in the desert with that washed out scene forever. Like, it was, it was exhausting to my eyes to watch it, which, having never really experienced that, it made it feel very real to me. Yeah, I mean, it's really, for all those points, I think it, it definitely framed in that 1917 con- kind of conversation definitely feels like that same type of story. Very personal. Um, not what I was expecting going into it. I think like mm-hmm. 1917, I was thinking, all right, we're going to bust some heads. And, you know, when they finally get deployed, they leave without ever having fired a shot in battle, right? Like there's that whole closing scene where they're just like, well, let's just shoot in the air because we haven't gotten to do this yet. So it was completely different than what I was expecting going into it for sure. I agree with that completely. Now, this is something you said that this was a really realistic portrayal, which that is sort of my biggest question for you guys about this movie in particular, because I feel like, I don't know, Tim and I were talking a little bit offline about this as well, right? I think, I feel like there's two ends of a spectrum when you're looking at, war movies, military movies, and the depictions of soldiers in them, right? I feel like when you have your traditional World War IIs, and especially the older films, like we're going to talk about Great Escape, it's this idealized, romanticized depiction of war, of the soldier, guys who went and did this duty, like they're all your grandpa, right? Like they, they went and stopped their lives to go do this thing they had to go do, but with the full intention of coming back and functioning in the world, but I feel like with, you know, like Hurt Locker and and this one and some of the other more modern ones, it is people who chose to go into the service, but it really takes this toll. They cannot reassimilate. They can't like, you know, they just can't function in our real world. And, and I kind of struggle with that. I mean, I live in Stafford. You know, my family's military. I, Marines live all around me. I'm just like a stone's throw from Quantico. And I know many of them, and they're fully well-adjusted, normal human beings. Yes, there's some that sort of fit that mold, I guess, that stereotype that you would expect. But I felt like every single person that I saw in this movie was this stereotypical Marine. And, and I just didn't know, like, how accurate is that? I think it's very accurate. I think it's spot on. Even looking at the, so I'm, I'm not in the Marines, I'm in the Navy, uh, but I'm in a, an engineering unit that follows the Marines around. So mm. a lot of times we dress like Marines and we make Marine camps and we talk like Marines. We're just fatter. And, um, <laughs> and, and we have longer hair, but you still have the same personality types in every unit. And Lisa and I talked about this a little bit. Like there's the nerdy guy with the glasses that, you know, has, he's, he cooks his sausages and it sets the flares on fire. <laughs> there's a guy that looked physically like that in my unit. And it's the same guy. And he didn't set the flares on fire because we didn't have flares. But if we did, he just set him on fire. <laughs> so he loved the um, sausage. Yeah, you, you have the asshole that taunts the locals or the help. You know, it's like America's number one because we're number one. 
and and you have the people that are like, ah, I'm just here for the college money. And you have people like, oh, I got lost on the way to college. You have the same kind of personalities. The portrayal is very accurate. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you, Frank, because I had the same questions. And I, I, I've never served in the military, but I came from a military family as well. And so when Ian and I were watching this movie, I stopped it at some point and I said, are these, are, did you really serve with guys like this? Like when you were deployed, were there really guys in your unit that acted like this? And he was like, oh yeah. 100%. All the way down to the guy that in the end, it's inferred that he committed suicide, right? The corporal mm -hmm. that, right. that got released. And even Jake Gyllenhaal's character is like, how messed up is this? All I want is out. All he wants is in. And what does he have to, like he was running away from his past to come into the Marine Corps and make something of himself. Yeah. And the Marine Corps takes that back because you lied to get here, then you're out. You're not right. the one that we want. And we lose an average of 22 veterans a day to suicide. So Frank, back to your point of the, the guys that you know that are normal, well, those are the survivors. Those are the ones that can assimilate, that haven't gone too far from some mental point of no return. Because the ones that haven't have erased themselves. Yeah. That's so wild. And I think, you know, what's awesome about your perspective and what's interesting about mine, watching this movie critically, right, as just a movie, I struggled to find the differences in each of the characters. To me, on first watch, they all felt like the same person. But yeah, just hearing... Uniform. Right, but right, just right. <laughs> yeah, but and, and and to but to hear you talk about each of the characters and immediately pick on, on pick up on their differences, subtle or otherwise, is fascinating to me because as soon as you started talking about it, I was like, he's absolutely right. The kid who sets the the camp on fire is totally different from the dude who I always think is flea when he's in a movie from the Red Hot Chili oh Peppers. My God, <laughs> I know, yeah. and he's not, and it drives me crazy. Like, just be flea or don't be flea. Like, I it it's nuts. But you know what I'm saying. But like to me, they all almost registered as that same on that same plane. And and it's that's so why I'm so glad you guys are here because I totally see the movie completely differently now. Yeah. Also, did anyone think that? that it was gonna be Jamie Fox in the coffin? Like that oh, part. No. That part um, got me. Yeah, I was like, oh. interesting. But I loved that it wasn't because I think it touches on exactly what Ian's talking about is that, like, yeah. don't forget so many, it continues when they get home. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So yeah, So right now I, I work at the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, Wounded Warriors. There's also a traumatic brain injury center there and they deal with a lot of this, you know, that uh, they say scars aren't always visible, right? There's mm -hmm. a lot of, especially in the last 20 years, in Iraq and Afghanistan, we see a lot more of that. Because back in the day, yeah, the, well, Vietnam, we saw a lot of it, but we, yeah. we chose to ignore it, right? And you see the scars, even in Jarhead, you got that old Marine veteran that jumps on the bus. He's like, hey, yep. can I just, can I sit here and, and be thanked for, for what I did 20 years ago? Like you guys are being thanked now? Because they got spat on when they came back. Right? Yeah. Right. And Jake Gyllenhaal's character also talks about it. When their mind goes, they have nobody to talk to. They didn't have, yeah. you know, that was a solid scene, yeah. Yeah, it's real. So I think my other question, I guess this all kind of ties in together. Again, looking at it now critically, which feels inappropriate as how, as how we really got into some real meat here. But in terms of it functioning as a movie, I, I did struggle a bit 
with the fact that it felt a little disjointed to me. Like, I understand that the point is more, it's, it's the human story. It's that human struggle. Um, and, and I, and I totally got that, but in terms of taking me from act one to act three in a, in a way that I could sort of tie in and follow, there wasn't a lot I felt like I could relate to. And, and it just felt like I, I never really understood at any given time what we were focusing on, right? Like at first we're sort of in the, in the training scenes and I'm like, all right, so this is kind of the full metal jacket thing. And, oh, it's going to be, yes, this is super hard. I get it. Like, here we go. Like, fine. I can accept this. I understand what we're doing, but what are we heading towards? Like, what's the end game of this? And then we, we take this stroll down, like this really intense focus on, on this infidelity thing. And so I guess offering that up too is like, is this really what is on? They just spent so much time in this movie on this one theme and then drop it and shift immediately to like, this operation that kind of doesn't really, I just, I never understood where I was in, in the movie. And I really struggled because I felt like I couldn't dive in both feet and like really get invested in any one thing before they yanked me out and started telling me a totally different story. I don't know. How did you guys feel about that? And I guess is that, is it such a big deal that we had to like spend this random 45 minutes on uh, everyone jazzing each other about, how their girlfriends and wives are guaranteed to be cheating on them. Super like awkward to ask the married couple. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think I'm just going to frame, I'm going to just frame the idea in again, looking at 1917, which we talked about being, you know, like that one shot, right? Like it was just kind of there. It was complete story, right? We followed it from the beginning to the end straight through, like no action was left out of the movie it was we saw everything that took place in almost real time right for him to get from the line to the front to deliver this message so viewing it that way i see exactly what you're talking about you know you you it's very episodic and very obvious that it comes from a memoir it's like i'm gonna hit you with the highlights right and those transitions are quick and they are abrupt and i i think in the framework that we've already set having to actually live that then makes it even that much more jarring, right? So if it's jarring for you as watching it and being like, I'm completely disjointed watching this, how disjointed are you living it, right? I, I can't, I, I like, it almost maybe feels like in a microcosm. And maybe that's what they're, what they're trying to achieve. It just, I felt like, I don't know, I totally can see how this works incredibly well as a memoir and as a book and how this style kind of can take you through that as a reader in terms of a visual media though, I felt like it almost did the story a disservice because I was so jarred by the abruptness of the storytelling that I couldn't really settle into the actual message. And now, you know, we're having this conversation and and it's kind of becoming clear, but it's, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's kind of a shame that that can maybe get things lost in in translation i don't i don't know how did what did you guys think and and again my question just being like i felt like we spent a lot of time on his fear and watching this whole infidelity thing play out and i was just kind of like is that what this movie is about and then all of a sudden it wasn't anymore and it it just felt like a lot of setups and awkward payoffs so i'll give my input first and then maybe ian can kind of speak on the the reality and the other side of it but i do get 
how you're saying that it abruptly changes from one point of focus to another. And I wondered if that was because that's kind of how it is on deployment. Like when you're bored and you're sitting around, you're just thinking about your girl back home. um, And then all of a sudden, now you guys have something to do or you have some mission to focus on. So you're no longer thinking of the girl at home because you have to put all your focus on the mission at hand. Ian, is that something that you could relate to or can you speak to that? Yeah, again, 100% accurate. This is very, very accurate depiction of military life, both from the boot camp scenes through discharge, especially on deployment. You're absolutely right. It is very disjointed because it's very segmented. You know, the, when you look at a civilian career, you know, you go to school and you get a job and you get promoted or you go to, a, you know, you promote yourself to a different job and there's just kind of a flow through it. And that's not really how it happens in the military. You, you have that upfront training and it's, it's rough because it's, you know, jarring you into a new life and then you go to a job and that can be many different things, right? It depends on what you do in the military and which branch and stuff like that. And then when you have a deployment, it changes again. And now you're in a foreign country doing who knows what. Maybe you were trained for it. Maybe you weren't. Uh, Maybe it's peacetime. Maybe it's wartime. At one point in my career, I went to work in the morning and I deployed for two months without going home again, right? The flag went up and it was a peacetime. There was an earthquake in Haiti back in 2010. And like, oh, okay. And now I have to do something with my dog. Um, And so you just, I think that's the the point that Mendez was trying to get across, right? And that was the point of Swafford's story and yeah the the infidelity why was he so concerned about the infidelity because he didn't have anything else going on Mm. he was bored they sat for six months doing nothing so they buy illegal booze and they get in trouble and they think about the girl back home but when does the story shift when the when the war starts right when the actual combat action kicks off he gets his first baptism by fire and he pisses in his pants and from then on it's violence and it's or it's the threat of violence and there's dead bodies and there's oil rigs on fire and bits of insanity and really high stress. And once all that's over, they start going like, oh yeah, I had a girlfriend once. That doesn't matter anymore. I have other things on my mind. I loved that part. I honestly, the third act of this movie is where I really, I was in because I could, yeah. that's where I could really start to understand all the all the things that they've idealized and and then versus the reality of the situation and then and the, the final scene you know where they call in the airstrike instead of letting them do that like i think that is masterful and the best part is at the end where he goes and knocks on the girlfriend's door right and and we kind of see that exchange very quickly um and it right. sort of puts a bow on that too and and he seems it's fine it doesn't exactly like you're saying you get that sense of all the stuff that mattered really doesn't matter. And uh, yeah. and I, I thought that was really interesting. I think for me, just looking at it, again, from a critical perspective, I I hope that people can stick with this one and and get to that point. I hope, I hope people listening to this watch this with that different lens out the gate because I feel like, you know, my initial sort of thoughts and review on this movie are a total disservice to the movie after this conversation because 
for me, I I couldn't get past that just as a as a movie watcher, right? I just I couldn't get past that disjointed approach. I couldn't understand it, you know, because I'm looking for that through line and, and what brings me in as a viewer. And I think maybe you know it just wasn't enough for me at in, in that moment. It's it, totally legitimate. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, like uh, when you're when you're producing a movie, you have to have a target audience, and you have to also say. This is not my target audience. I'm totally with you. If you haven't experienced it, this movie probably kind of sucked. I mean, if you're looking for, you know, Warheads on Foreheads, Black Hawk Down, Sands of Iwo Jima, this ain't that movie. So I would say, I think this would be a good movie for the significant other to watch too. I would agree with that completely. It gives that understanding of what your person is going through. Exactly, because the girl back at home, she doesn't, see what's going on on deployment day to day you know back then when when internet and um, social media weren't as readily available you got a letter every month or so maybe Mm. and her life is going on back home but this movie i think presents a good picture of what their day-to-day is like when they're bored or when there's stuff going on i liked it but you know ian kind of set it up for me knowing what I was going to be watching, but I think this is really important for a significant, significant other or a spouse to watch. Yeah. I I think that is absolutely brilliant. I I mean, I I don't think it can get more appropriate than that. I I think the other angle that I've also pulled out of it a little bit is the kind of the undercurrent, especially in the third act where you're getting this idea that the military has moved on to to a different type of combat when they're talking about yes. um, you know like this the snipers are kind of obsolete at this point they're like why take out one guy when we can call in an airstrike and take out this whole thing so that idea too of building that frustration and 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 adding on to that they all that time they spent waiting and all that boredom and they're finally getting to do what they're trained to do and then they're just cut off they're just frustrated right there's no outlet on that really kind of does a a good job of, I think, educating exactly, you know, the, the point that, that, that you guys are making is that there's, there's a whole host of education in this movie, especially for somebody who is living on the other side of that relationship for sure. Yeah. You know, in the end, I, I, you can't help but make the comparisons to, you know, full metal jacket, that kind of stuff. I felt like that was also a disjointed story. Like that's two movies in one, right? You've oh, got, the- I hated the boot camp scene as a direct ripoff of Full Metal Jacket. They use the same lines. They use the same lines. Ian, I'm so glad you said it. It drove me crazy. And then the whole time, I'm just like, what? What? Like, Jimmy Fox. Ernie, dude. A hundred percent. I think, you know, and that's, and to me, and and I guess that's the point I want to make in the end is I, I can understand everything we're talking about here and i feel like execution of this movie really fell short i i think if you want this movie to be incredibly niche and really speak to the audience of service members and their spouses and their families or or, and that kind of stuff they're gonna get it they'll buy in they're gonna watch that opening sequence and and same as us and say like okay like I said, let's get to the meat of it. But when they get there, it makes sense. I think if you're trying to educate or or impress these points on the uninitiated, right? Like myself, it's going to be the vast majority of viewers watching this are not 
Marines or military personnel or spouses, and maybe we can find some inroads into these characters and these themes. But I felt like the 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 approach of the film did the message a disservice, and in the end, I don't know. I just I struggled so much with it that uh, it was kind of a shame, which you know is something that I, I don't know. And and I think part of that, I think Sam Mendes's direction comes through, and I think you feel it viscerally, and it and it builds the tension and does the things he's really good at but basing it on the ip of a memoir i'm not sure that translated all the way through which i just personally i think is a shame because i think this movie could really do so much more good if it also appealed to a broader audience and i think it it really appeals specifically to families and people like you guys yeah i can agree with that because i think if i if i watched this movie before i met ian 15 years ago <laughs> What year is this? <laughs> right? Is it not 2036? Like, we're, we're not that old. <laughs> but I think I would have had a different perspective on this movie if I was just, you know, a civilian going into it, not not feeling any of the impact or not understanding any of the life. So I can I can see where you're coming from, Frank. Yeah. But a lot of this makes this next point that you have on here kind of surprising, not surprising. I, I don't know. So Are you talking about the sequel here? Yeah. So there have been three sequels to this movie. Three sequels. Have you guys, guys seen know that? Before? I did not until Frank told me. I that. knew there were two or three. The third one, or one or two, I mean, one or two sequels. Like, I knew there was a sequel for sure. I knew there was a Jarhead 2. And I thought there was a Jarhead 3. The fourth one surprised me. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't know there on. was four. I didn't, I didn't know there was a sequel. I didn't sequel. know there was a second or third one until it recommended them after we watched this on Netflix or whatever. That was um, my uh, that was my question. Had you, because how do you... No, it's like Smokey and the Bandit 2 and 3. Right. Don't. <laughs> Just don't. Well, so my problem with it, right, like I can, this place came from such an honest place, or this movie came from right. such an honest place. But it is the sequels, and the sequels don't make sense. This movie did not do well. This movie was a bomb at the box office. It cost... Well, uh, the target audience is 2% of the American population that served in the military. It's yeah. exactly right. But but at a budget, like, like you have Act of Valor and other movies that were that were clearly targeted for service members and, and are, are better done, but they're done so inexpensively, right? versus 72 million on this movie and you barely make that back how does that launch all these other movies which i would imagine loses the heart and the and the intimacy of this one in particular yeah i feel like i mean i haven't seen any of the sequels but i feel like for me this made enough of an impact to be lasting you know, and, and right. if I was to go on and watch the sequels, it are you <laughs> saying that the next seven movies blunted the take home feel of the first <laughs> Fast and Furious? <laughs> <laughs> How many times can you jump the train, Shark? I mean, Shark, I mean, no, I'll say I, Fast and the Furious later. I think it's so true. I, I think, you know, why bastardize what this movie does with, with I just, it, it makes no sense to me, and it feels like it takes the wind out of. What this yeah. one was trying to do, it's it's, it's crazy. actually right. it's a it's a very same argument that we ended up making sort of with the John Wick trilogy, right? All that heart right. that is in the first one, and now you're just trying to capitalize on whatever you get for the rest of it. Yeah, you're just gonna wring whatever you can out of that. Ooh, <laughs> what if at the end of this one, the Allstate guy called in a John Wick 
And instead of like bombing the tower, John Wick just fell from the sky and annihilated everybody. Now that's you and after the camera, like, are you in good hands? That's what you would expect from safe drivers saying forty percent. Oh, what if he did? Making their money, it's all state placement at the end of the movie. Well played, well played. He said it. He said it. Oh, I have one more question before we move on from Jarhead. What is a Jody? Oh, come on, man. Jody's the guy back home. I asked him the same question. So that is a fair question. I was like, is Jody an acronym for <clears throat> Jody for is not an acronym. Jody is the term for the guy back home that slimes in there to comfort your significant other. Grieving is the wrong word. But yeah, your, your girl back home that's missing you and you're out there serving your country. Yeah, that like, is oh, a... him. That is a slimy name. Like I just, yeah. it makes my skin crawl. The Have that you guys ever known a Jody? Uh, like, not personally. Like yes, in my periphery, but I have not. Any I didn't Jody know he was a Jody. Known. Yeah, so Frank lives in Stafford, Jody Town. Yeah. <laughs> I can neither confirm or no, but I oh, did. Uh, my who's deploying this month? I'm gonna go get me a new girlfriend. <laughs> oh, that's rough. I'm just I'm just down here for the cheap housing, man. Because every time they get deployed, they just rent me their beautiful house. That's right. right. I, know. I know. I'm a house Jody, yo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's go around. We'd like to do a quick rating. We do a scale of 10. So why don't we, starting with uh, you guys, and then we'll jump to Tim, and I can bring it home. Out of 10, what would you guys give this movie? And to, and to be fair... We haven't really ever established metrics. For nope. This it's just whatever like, you're wait, feeling no, at the me. time. Listen, okay. I yeah. do have a very detailed chart, but we never use it. Um, so from my point of view, this was my favorite of the three. I will say that. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was surprised of that myself. But I would give this, I would give this an eight or a nine, more so, more towards a nine for me. If a director's or, or any artist's uh, goal is to elicit emotion and connection with their audience, they achieved it with me. Like I said, the first time I saw this movie, I had a gut reaction. Like I had to take a moment. Seeing it on the big screen in the theater and remembering the the months that I spent in the desert. And it was um, same kind of thing. Didn't see much combat action, just boredom, you know, and kind of for real. So with me, same, about a nine. Tim, what about you? I think... I'm sitting six or seven and I definitely get the visceral reactions and I can absolutely appreciate how having a closer experience to that experience would absolutely up that for me. No question. Um, I think I get hamstrung a little bit on the movie critical aspects of it. And without having that experience, finding it hard to relate to the characters you know personally um does kind of notch that down for me but as i said i can absolutely respect where you guys would come from with that for sure 100 percent. yeah i think i'm in that camp i gave it a five and for me it was just it was the critical filmmaking stuff it was the you know trying to be full metal at the beginning and uh, yeah and you know and just not living up to that and i think that tainted um how i viewed it but I got to say, man, what saved this movie for me, the casual viewer, was that third act. I thought that was a masterpiece. And, and it's not because it was action heavy at all. It was actually, it was, I, I felt like that achieved in those few minutes what the movie was trying to achieve as a whole, which is, 
you're going into this expecting all these things and in the end you end up doing none of them and but yet you still pay the same price like it was it was so powerfully done and and for me the movie's worth the third act but i really did yep. struggle to find an inroad into a character because i just couldn't relate and that's fine i mean it's, it was obvious going like when i was a little bit into the movie it was obvious that it wasn't meant for me and then, uh, but then in the end, I was very surprised how they brought that all home. So I gave it a five. Percent understand y'all's standpoint on it too. If I didn't have a personal relationship with the subject, I wouldn't like it either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a long movie to get through to get to the moral <laughs> at the end. Mm. So the next movie we talked about was The Great Escape from 1963 and rated PG-13. Let's do the same thing. Let's just kind of go around and uh, do a quick blurb of what you thought and had you seen it before. We'll start with you guys. I had seen it before. I mean, a huge Steve McQueen fan. Boom. He's, every man wants to be him, right? Motorcycle racer, car racer, movie star, heartthrob, died young, and he burned out, didn't fade away. Um, <laughs> I remember liking the movie a lot. I mean, it's a classic war movie. Yep. And it's it's the American GIs fighting the Nazis and being smarmy and cool. And man, James Garner's sweater, like, wow. <laughs> and why? It looks really warm there. Right. Um, so I hadn't seen the movie in a long time. Uh, it was good to watch it through new eyes. And I had a different feeling about it watching it this time. And I'm sure we'll get there. Uh, as we go through it but yes it was entertainment but not terribly accurate mm -hmm. and so looking at it as an as an as adult, an adult <laughs> oh god i said it uh i mean i don't think i've seen it since i was a teenager right so i have yeah. a very different perspective looking at it this time so i have not seen it i knew it was a classic i did not know what it was about going into it but i was pleasantly surprised I will say that I was entertained by it. I was kind of dreading the fact that it was a three-hour movie, mm -hmm. but it didn't feel like it to me watching it. So it is, if not my dad's favorite movie, it is definitely in his top five, for sure. So I, this movie has been in my periphery for my entire life. And so I think, and Frank and I have talked a little bit about this throughout the week, there's just those movies that you grow up watching and I've never really thought about having to look at this movie critically. And it's one of those movies. If I came across on TV, I watched it from, you know, whatever moment I was at, um, you know, it, it's you know, Shawshank is another one of those. I was comparing this movie to escape from Alcatraz, the Clint, Clint Eastwood movie. I mean, there's just those movies that my dad watched and I watched with him and I will still continue to watch these movies. Um, I'm not sure I've ever actually sat and watched it from beginning to end, but I've, definitely felt like i've seen this movie in its entirety so watching it from beginning to end was a little a little more interesting and watching it critically definitely exposes some issues with the story i kind of started thinking of this as uh you know a 1963 version of the expendables where you're kind of like let's pack as many current big stars into this movie let's all give them a little bit something important to do but then we kind of get lost in the mud. There's just, we got to give these guys good screen time and then things get lost. I still like it for what it is, but it is for what it is. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I had never seen it and it was simply because I felt like I didn't need to. I felt like I knew exactly what this movie was and I was right <laughs> for the most part. You know, I was, there were some surprises. I was surprised a bit 
by the ending, by Steve McQueen's ending. It's not what I thought was going to happen, but I don't think that was enough to like make me be like, I can't believe I've never seen it. I don't think though, like, does that mean what I'm saying is that this is a bad movie? Absolutely not. It is exactly what you would expect it to be. It is a classic on par with anything else from this era. And I think it delivers its notes for what it is. I think it's insanely long for absolutely no reason. There's so much fat in this. Like, there's so much dead space. Um, what The scene that comes to mind for me in particular is uh, Don Pleasance's character, Blythe. And when we meet him the first time, James Gardner comes in. They start talking about hunting, and he's like, oh, I used to hunt. Oh, I don't hunt. I bird watch. Oh, you bird watch? Yes, birds. Look at this bird, and I draw them. Oh, you draw? I love to draw. And this, this, this. Oh, and what about birds again? And who are you? Oh, I get stuff. I'm James Gardner. Oh, that's great. And we watch this conversation in this back and forth for like 45 minutes, all to get to, I'm the forger. And it's like, you could have said that an hour ago, and we could have moved on. And, and additionally, to the point of like, you know, we were made to understand that all these people know each other for the most part. They've been in the same POW camps. They've escaped together. They all know. It's like we spend the first 20 minutes. Where's Jack? Where's our tunnel guy? Where's our this guy? And they find each other. So I felt like they could have just quickly introduced the characters and then gotten into the meat of this movie. But all that being said, I, you know, I, I think it's it is what it is. I, I'm not sure I would watch it again, but I would certainly if it's on check it out. Like I would watch, like Tim was saying, I would, I would watch from wherever it is and then carry through and I wouldn't be mad at it. Yeah. I think it's definitely worth a once through, you know, it's a classic. Yeah. You got to watch from beginning to end at least once. I'm glad that I did. I wouldn't do it again either. The other thing that I did appreciate about it, it, it was something different, right? And, and it wasn't just Americans versus Nazis. This is a, a, a mix of allied forces who are all like come together for this purpose. And, and you're not really experiencing the war in the traditional way. So it tells the story from another perspective. I thought that was interesting. But the one thing that did confuse me is I've always known this to be like the Steve McQueen, like the quintessential Steve McQueen movie. And I don't understand that. He's in this movie for 17 seconds and it is not his movie <laughs> at all. Like this is yes. James Gardner and Richard Attenborough's movie. And I don't get why it's like Steve McQueen top billing. Yeah, I was confused about that as well because I, I was going into this thinking, yeah, I'm going to get me some Steve McQueen action on screen. <laughs> what am I going to see here? And then, like halfway through the movie, I turned to Ian. I'm like, hell, I thought this was a Steve McQueen movie. Nope. But, uh, <laughs> do you want to know why? I do. Yeah, to sell tickets. So uh, I was okay. just talking Here's about this with a question. Total number of Americans in the actual camp. Three. Zero. Was there three? Okay, they were latecomers, though. No, no, the no. So there was there was Steve McQueen's character. Wait, are we talking no, about no, the character? Not in the movie. I'm talking about the, the actual camp oh, based on a true story. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So 100% allied, mostly British, but like the um, at the end of the story, there are three total escapees. You know, there's the two guys who went down the river and the one guy that um, went over to Spain with the, yep. the French resistance. That's true. Their nationalities were Norwegian and Dutch. See, I totally uh, understand why you make some of the characters American, right? Because, you know, this is an American movie. But, yeah. I, but, and I, Tim and I were talking about this, and, and I was like, it's obvious that Steve McQueen is in it for the billing. 
But at the same time, you can still say he's in it without making it his. James Garner at the time could carry a movie almost just as well. I mean, Richard Attenborough's the real star. And and I don't think he's known here at the time. He's obviously a big deal. Not until Jurassic Park. Correct. And, uh, <laughs> it's the Jurassic Park clause. <laughs> but, you know, I, I guess I was just, I was really confused. Like, I felt like James Gardner could have carried it. This is him at his peak. And uh, I don't know. I don't get it. I will say James Gardner gave me some feels, but not nearly as many <laughs> as Charles Bronson. That man. Oh, yes. Boy. I was surprised by that. I didn't realize Charles Bronson was going to be in this. Right until he spoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I couldn't believe how good looking he was. That was because yeah. I only know yeah, Death Wish Charles Bronson. Right? Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, uh, I think one of the things that really struck me watching it now, you know, I, I think, Ian, you said with fresh eyes is, you know, as a kid, I was like, oh, I want them to get away. I want them to escape the Nazis. And that's not their that's not their deal. They're not really escaping to escape. Their mm. their whole idea was escaping just to mess stuff up. And that really did kind of change my my feeling about it. And I think as a kid I was always sad. It's like, you know, the the ending of Davy Crockett, he dies at the Alamo or, you know, something like that. It's like, oh, they they you know, 50 of them are are, are shot and a bunch of them get returned, only 3 get away. I'm really sad about it. And like you can still be sad about it, but they really did accomplish their mission in the end, right? Their their mission was just to waste these resources. And on the flip side of that, you also knowing what I you know you've learned in in school about Nazis and and just since I've originally seen this movie, like the Nazis aren't worried about war crimes. Why return keep returning these guys to prison camp? Like why didn't they take this earlier and just be like? Up, oh, you tried to escape once. Let's be, you know, th- these are the same guys that are are, are throwing a whole race of people in, in into concentration camps, and they're not they're not concerned about you know returning these these people. So it was one of the things that I was saying. I don't quite understand that. And Frank and I talked that out a little bit and balanced that sort of where the you know the 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 commander of this this prison camp and then um, Werner the ferret. Um, it's kind of like we're not really. You know, we're we're more into the gentlemanly side of war. We're not we're not the Nazi kind of ends of it. So there's all this nuance that schooling and worldliness has taught me that I wasn't quite as aware of when I first watched this movie as a kid. So it was really kind of interesting to kind of come at it with that 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 new set of eyes for sure. So I'm a massive fan of HBO's Band of Brothers. I watch it probably twice a year. And there's a there's a part right they interview the old guys before each episode and and you watch the progression of the war through the eyes of you know the men of easy company and and there's a there's a moment where shifty the real shifty is talking to the camera and he's just saying we got to a point where we realized that we're not much different right he might like to fish i might like to hunt i've used this analogy a couple times in past episodes i think um and and the whole point is he's like in another life we could have been good friends and and they realize that not all Nazis are the evil Nazis that we know from school, right? Some were just sh- soldiers. And the ferret is a really good example where he's like, I was a Boy Scout, and then they bring me into the Hitler Youth, and now I'm here. Like, I didn't want any of this. So I thought one thing the movie did really well was to kind of also try to portray that not all German soldiers were cut from the same cloth. 
Um, and some of them not even aware of the atrocities going on. And, and I felt like the commander of this camp sort of depicted that. Ferret definitely depicted that. But when in the hands of those who were, they handled it more in the way that, you know, you would expect him, right? Like it, they mm-hmm. just took him out. So I don't know. I, I thought this movie did that really well, too, to paint a more diverse picture than what you would come to expect, which is just, ooh, Nazi kill Nazi. Yeah, that's a good point. So as, as a prior enlisted officer now, uh, I was immediately struck with the fact that this is an officers-only POW camp. Is that Not a thing? Just that. We'll come back to that. <laughs> this particular camp is only for Air Force officers yeah. run by the German Air Force officers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, ah, you are the elite of the elite. You know, your country has entrusted you with these new fangled, uh, what are they called? Aircraft. Right. So is my country. Let's just have a little cool camp out in the woods because you guys are naughty, naughty escapey. Right? <laughs> That's it's so like, true. What the shit? Are you serious? Wow. And so that was the point that the colonel was trying to make. You know, the, the commandant of the camp is like, we've made a very nice place for you here. Please no escapee anymore. Right. And, and I was like, we're kind of honor bound to do that. Yeah. So, and then his response is kind of like, thing okay. from the German standpoint, <laughs> the, the British guy, true was colors, like, yeah, appreciate you making some swank uh, accommodations for us. I'll, I'll take some fresh tea when some is delivered. But in the meantime, we have to keep, you know, messing with you because we got nothing else to do, right? And he's, <laughs> like and he's, Shawshank, like, well, I might as well dig a tunnel. No, and yeah. he's totally yeah. fine. Like, you're so yeah. right. So that that's part the Geneva Conventions. So that's the Geneva Conventions, and it's a very Westphalian European thing. They're like, okay, we're going to treat your prisoners well. And you, put our, and you get, you know, three hots in a cot, and you get to write letters home and, and things like that. Asian countries are not part of the Geneva Convention, by the way. So we get into Vietnam and torturing prisoners and things like that. It's mm-hmm. a different, different ballgame. But it's a very old world European thing to do now. Mm. Do they still have officers only prisoner camps? No. <laughs> I mean, especially, you know, like modern warfare is against non-state actors, ISIS right. and Al-Qaeda and things like that. Uh, they're not signed signatories to the Geneva Convention either. And uh, so they, they don't care. Right. Um, yeah. So if that was the thing, I don't know, but it died with the Nazis. It's This is definitely what we were talking about that idealized romanticized sort of life of a soldier and that experience, which, you know, and, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it does. It, I mean, well, if nothing else, it dates it. This is a film of its time and, you know, sort of in line with, you know, the, uh, the gone with the winds and, and other similar type movies where you watch it and you're just like, what is happening? But you know, it, it is what it is. Um, I don't know. Let's go around. I thought for me, you know, like I said at the top, it was what I thought it was. It delivered exactly what I thought it would, which is probably why I had never really sat down to watch it. Um, but I will say, though, I'm glad that I did. I think it, you know, it scratches the itch. And it it's funny to say, especially after the conversation we had about Jarhead, but if you're looking for a good old wholesome World War II movie, this is the one for you. Sit down with the kids and really just enjoy Soldiers at Nazi Summer Camp. 
and uh, and all the playful and antics. The at the end. Oh, I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> and honestly, that scene feels so out of place. All of a sudden, it becomes a very real thing, and you're like, "What just happened?" It's. I think it's worth watching, if nothing else, to be able to have a conversation with someone one day when they say, "Have you ever seen The Great Escape?" <laughs> what did you guys yeah. think? So I'm I'm kind of with you, Frank. I'm glad I watched it. The the, the summer camp analogy is hilarious because it's so true. I I was I, I turned to Ian at the beginning of the movie and I'm like, is this for real? Like they've got a swimming pool. They're gonna let them grow gardens. By the end of the movie, they're boating and riding yeah. motorcycles through the countryside. <laughs> <It's> so- <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh my god is that julie anders yeah <laughs> it's it, it, parents it's totally, weekend yeah it, it fits its time you're right it's a movie that fits its time i try to have a conversation with my neighbors i'm like hey i just want we just watched the great escape last night have you guys seen it no <laughs> well okay i would if i had to give it a rating i would give it a six you know i was i was pleasantly surprised with it I'm glad i watched it so being that it was based on a true story but so highly fictionalized all the way down to the details that would never fly now in the great world of CGI. Like even the Sam Mendez's on fire oil wells. I don't know how they did that. I don't yeah. know if that was a scene because California would not have let that happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. Can we go set some oil wells on fire out here in this pristine desert? Yeah, go ahead. You got to make sure you break the national forests first before you set anything on fire right. in, in, right. in California. <laughs> uh, but the great escape was so fictionalized and such a departure from what actually happened to sell tickets to to get in that mindset of this is an American classic movie and a great story about our American boys in a German, you know, Nazi camp, uh, all the way down to the weather. Yeah, how much snow was there in the whole movie? <laughs> None. Right. Right. The actual right. great escape, there was three feet of snow on the ground. You know, so there was, it was a lot easier to track the guys who, like, they went that way in the snow. And the, the camp was, you know, near Poland you know, and yeah. Austria. And I don't know, because there was so much realism lost and it was such a production for Hollywood to part Americans with their dollars, I had to go with about a five. I still love Steve McQueen. I still love punching, being snarky with Nazis at summer camp. But... Yeah, I lost it. It's true. And I I think I didn't give my rating, but that's that's what I had to. I gave it a five and a half, but it was for that same reason because I was like, you know, it, it opens up with this is based on a true story, the characters are amalgams, but the events that happened are all true and blah blah. So, you know, you look it up and you're like, This really happened. And it kinda sucked that as you watch it, you never feel any real sense of gravity. You never feel any right. like dread mm. or danger. It feels so playful that you're just kind of like this. Mm. It's a disservice. Well, Here's baseball. Yeah. Oh my right. god! Right. Don't right. even get me started on that. That was the first thing I texted Tim. I was like, "What is happening?" That I mean, I'm surprised he didn't pull a hot dog out of the other pocket because I was just well. like, "You're in." <laughs> POW camp and and on top of that let's assume you have a ball and glove when you get thrown in the cooler you get to take it with you and play baseball in your cell like what is happening anyways but again it's like, yes it's, it's like, just too fanciful it's like the platform frank you get to take one item with you into the cooler but that's so. two tim glove and ball <laughs> and ball oh yeah, yeah. good call um i i as for as much as I, you know, this movie is in there and hits the nostalgia factor for me. I, I, I think I'm gonna go. Maybe I go six. I think five, five and a half makes a lot of sense. I think watching this in conjunction with Jarhead and 
than A Few Good Men. I, I think these were brilliant three movies to watch together. I almost, and it's what we were kind of touching on before. It's movies like this or something else of this time. Another one I grew up watching was um, uh, To Helen Back, the Audie Murphy um, story, like the autobiography about his time in World War II. And watching those kind of movies made in the 50s and the late 50s, 60s, 70s, it does a movie like Jarhead a disservice because of that romanticism and playfulness that you get in, in this movie, right? So then you see something like Jarhead and you're like, what? This is like, where's the honor in this? And you know, But that's the raw, real reality of it, right? So watching these movies in conjunction was super fascinating for me. I really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I go five. I mean, you really start to poke holes in some of this stuff. Some of this stuff comes out of nowhere, you know? Um, Danny digging holes, and then suddenly 17 holes in, he's too claustrophobic to escape in the tunnel that he built. It's like, what? After three years of digging that tunnel. Right, right. It's like- And this bro, was his 17th tunnel. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, you know, and then even the, the stuff with, you know, you, I think you're supposed to feel something more when Ives freaks out and gets shot on the fence line. But you've known it's coming since the minute he showed up in the film. They're like, he's going to break. He's going to break. And so when he breaks, you're like, well, they told us he was going to break. And, you know, it just it is it is, you know, a Sunday afternoon. It's on TV. Going to watch it movie. I, I will never feel bad about watching it. Um, you know, it's 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 like your favorite snack food. Never going to feel bad about eating it, but it's it's nothing to write home about. <laughs> yeah, but if you eat that snack food for three straight hours, you start to feel a little sick. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the last movie we watched was A Few Good Men, 1992, and rated R. Full disclosure. This was my favorite movie. I love this freaking movie. And I think it's going to be interesting when we dive into this. So, Tim, your dad's favorite movie was Great Escape. So you kind of came into it sort of with this bias of this being sort of a favorite. Uh, That was the case for me here. One of my, my dad watches two movies and only two movies. He watches Tombstone and he watches A Few Good Men. I could do a one-man play of each of those. But this was, I watch this movie multiple times a year. I love it. And what's crazy is I'm not a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. But this one feels very different from what his normal stuff is. And I think what's going to be interesting about this conversation is, especially because we've talked about Jarhead and we've talked about Great Escape already, but in my mind, what's what's funny is, is that where Jarhead, I found it difficult to accept the characterizations of the soldiers in that movie as accurate and come to find out it's immensely accurate, I find A Few Good Men to be much more believable as a casual viewer. I was like, I could totally see these people. Like, I buy Jack Nicholson as Colonel Jessup, and I buy uh, Tom Cruise as, you know, as as the smooth-talking lawyer, and I buy, like, it all sort of makes sense in my brain. But overall, this is one of my all-time favorites, and I this is the one where I would watch through multiple times i cannot wait to find out what everybody else thought about this one so this is the first time i've seen this movie what and yes first time i've seen it did i not tell you that okay you did not sir yeah this is the first time i've seen this movie and lo and behold i didn't find out until today that my wife has seen this movie a hundred times because it was one of her dad's favorite movies and i was like well if i'd known that i would have watched it with you instead of trying to find you know some some time on my own Again, it's completely different. It's, it's it's a third very different 
movie in this. I love the theatrical aspect of it. You, as somebody who has been around theater and in theater, studied theater, you see how this was a play. I can see this as a stage play. This is what I would call a living room play, right? This it was a play place first. In the courtroom. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I can totally see that. I can so, totally see a stage adaptation of this. I can kind of guess what scenes were either added or fleshed out or trans transferred and it makes it really interesting to 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 see it that way so it's got a very theatrical nature to it that said for me there's a certain patina on 90s movies and this movie just drips with that the way that you know 60s and 70s movies do too you look at jaws or like the great escape and there's a a color to it like uh, the only way i can describe it is a patina and i just Anytime you see that color on a 90s movie, it just automatically hurts the movie for me. And I just feel like there's a cheese factor on a lot of 90s movies when you see that. I mean, uh, Markinson's got these huge 90s glasses, right? And you've got Demi Moore with her, you know, kind of Demi Moore haircut. And the part of that is just, and then you look, I mean, the cast itself is quintessential Tim, 90s cast, right? This film was made yes. in 1992. I know. So right? I understand so. the whole patina <laughs> argument, but that's like <laughs> if you watched a movie from 2006 and we're like, oh, it was just washed with this 90s patina. This movie was made in the 90s. What did I you expect it, it to I look like? I just, I don't know where that comes from. It's more evident in some movies than it is for others. And it just, for some reason, it, it, it automatically is like, I don't know. It's just, it makes me feel weird. <laughs> and that's, the, you know, that's not a knock on the movie itself. I love procedurals, especially when you, you know, add a different element into this. You know, the, the, there's the military aspects of this, you know, the, that idea of like, we have to prove that they followed orders. You know, that whole idea of proving that, Hal was disciplined for not following an order previously, and so when he Does received that not this order, in civilian life, <laughs> you have no orders, no <laughs> orders, and no honor. Do you know right. what to do every day, right? Um, so that's you know that thing that is just you know a whole another aspect to proving that case, right? It's like yeah, what he did was eventually you know was was not morally right, but by orders and code of ethics, military wise, he was following what he was told to do, what he was trained to do. So adding that stuff into it just makes it infinitely more more interesting. Aesthetically aside, I, I did enjoy the movie a lot. What did you guys think, especially the part about the orders bit? So this movie holds a special place in me and Lisa's heart because we met in Guantanamo Bay. <gasps> Aww. Under the very I blanket know. of freedom that Jessup provides? Yes, yes. <laughs> there were blankets involved. Yeah, I mean, we, Lisa and I, we're... we're we're feeding each other popcorn. We're like, I remember running down that hill and falling down and some guy kicking me. You remember that? Oh, and in that tower. And No, that didn't happen. <laughs> so it, it was fun. A lot of the footage was shot in Guantanamo Bay. One of the more significant ones. So everything was shot in Guantanamo Bay except the one scene where they're eating dinner in, the, in Colonel Jessup's patio. That was shot in San Diego. Yeah, and additionally, that was, that was an to speak to that, Tim and I were actually just talking about it. Because the movie very much also feels like it's actually in D.C. And it was filmed on location in D.C. for the most part. So, yeah. yeah, Almost to the point that when we said that and started looking at filming locations, I was like, this is exactly where I thought this was filmed. You know, the, the baseball fields on the river south of the, uh, the, the mall, Georgetown, southeast. Just I was like, oh, OK, cool, because. I mean, as you guys know, living in this area, it's really easy to pick out when somebody says it's filmed in D.C. and you're like, that doesn't look like D.C. Right. And this yeah. movie felt very D.C. So yeah. that's really cool. Likewise, Harold and Kumar go to Gitmo. 
not filmed on location. <laughs> I don't know if you guys knew that. <laughs> God, it felt so real. I know, I know. Yeah, so again, a kind of a quintessential growing up movie. It was a classic. I enjoyed it. I think it's fairly accurate. It's a little bit of cheese factor, partly because of the 90s, partly because it's made for the big screen. And yeah, so uh, we talked earlier this week about Sorkin being a screenwriter and uh, how he kind of overdoes some of the dialogue. And like, okay, looking at it through that lens, I, I see where you're coming from in some of his later movies. But overall, this, it was good. So I thought, the, I thought the movie had a really good pace. It was very engaging and, and you are invested in seeing this through the end. But I just couldn't get past the fact of how much Demi Moore dealt with the sexual harassment every time a guy talked to her. Mm. Maybe it's because I've just had so much training working for the government for so long. Like, Oh, it was cringy. Yeah. That does not fly in today's military. No. Right. Mm. I will say, like, I had seen this movie when I was younger. Um, I hadn't watched it again. So I did like it. Not my favorite of the three, though. I completely agree with you. There's two characters that really bother me. Demi Moore's character, but not her character per se, but just how she accepts this demeaning and constant barrage of belittlement and sexualization. This film is based loosely on a, on a, on a true story, but it's actually Aaron Sorkin's sister who was a lawyer for the JAG Corps, who was telling him about a case in Gitmo that he was, she was working. And it gave him this idea. He was working at a bar at the time and he started writing the play. But you can see where the real world ends and then his interpretation of what that it, you know, would be like for a woman or for whatever comes in. I think the other thing that really bothers me is uh, Private Downey's character. I think it's like wholly insulting, you know, where it's like the Marines are either these blind robots who do nothing but follow orders or they're just idiots who can do nothing else. And so that's why they are there. And I felt like the country bumpkin sort of portrayal of Downey is bothersome to me for some reason. But I think that is part of the Sorkin thing. His his dialogue bothers me in most things. It doesn't bother me here because it feels like it fits because this is primarily a courtroom drama, I and that's I love that this movie is a military movie, like the way Exorcism of Emily Rose is a horror movie, because it isn't. It's a it's a courtroom drama first, and it it's added this little flavor of something different that sort of makes it different and elevates it, right? And and I think Sorkin fits in well here. It's his first screenplay, so it's still light version Sorkin. But additionally, you can kind of buy, like if anyone's going to talk this way to each other, it's going to be a room full of lawyers, right? They're all theoretically smartish and witty and quick because <laughs> they make their living on arguing and, and whatever, right? Like you can see all their conversations being arguments. Fine, I get that. But I do, you know, I do struggle with a few of those bits. But it, it just, this movie, every single scene is memorable. Every single scene has a one-liner that hits and you remember and and i quote it constantly i don't know it's it's really interesting to me yeah i mean ultimately i think it delivers on the parts that you want it to to deliver on i think while you have that yeah i mean it's a powerhouse cast i mean you've got this ensemble going on that again while it is pure 90s everyone actually plays their role pretty pretty well um tim how do you, know, you watch you can, anything 
from any other decade. <laughs> like, Tim will only watch movies that were actually made within 12 months of when he's watching it. <laughs> God, that movie prior, felt so 60s. Tim was made in the 60s. Prior to 1990. Um, but I mean, I you know, I, I'm not a huge Tom Cruise fan, so... You know, I, I usually stray away from movies that that Tom Cruise is in. If I can not focus on the fact that his teeth aren't symmetrical in his head, then they're not. Look it up. Wait, Look it up. Is we're, no one's arguing with you. We're I'm not, I'm I mean, it's, not. it's a condition of the man's birth. <laughs> He's hilarious. also kind of short. My face. <laughs> a little distracting for me. My face was yeah. more that it was. I'm not a Tom Cruise fan, which I get. I get that. But it's like right. because his teeth aren't symmetrical. No, 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 no. I, I, when somebody finally told me that, it made it worse because every time he talks, all I can see is that his. It's, it's like when it's someone tells you the FedEx logo out. has an arrow in it, and then you can never Correct. unsee it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My mind is right now. You'll never unsee it. Uh, yeah. It's true. Oh my god. So I mean, I, but you know, I, I think this movie ends up you know it, it is a a sum of its parts i mean and i think that's why you know frank you say that the scenes are memorable because you've got these actors who have all gone on to have major careers this is a powerhouse cast and so i think it takes that script that you know again was written for for theater which is a whole nother level of acting as well um and that just elevates it i mean jack nicholson is out of control in this movie. And, and Frank and I talked about it earlier. There was part of me that wanted to see more of him, but I think Frank makes the argument that he's in this movie, the perfect amount and where it doesn't become grading or a caricature. And uh, I actually walk my thoughts back on that. I think I agree perfectly. I think he's in this movie, just the right amount, but you know, it, it, they, it goes a long way to, to further, further the, the, the story for sure. This cast. So I think, you know, bringing up the cast is a huge point. This movie is perfectly cast. I think that, you know, we can make a lot of arguments and have a lot of conversations about sort of the depictions of some of these characters, but I think everyone really does build out their role well and delivers it really well. I, I totally can understand when people uh, don't dig Tom Cruise. Me personally, I, I'm not a really huge Tom Cruise fan per se. I say that, but yet I watch almost everything he's in. Like, and I'm, I I love Mission Impossible, uh, Interview with the Vampire, whatever, man. I'll watch it all. But here, I feel like he's perfect for this, right? Sort of this green lawyer who's just sort of slapsticky and, and what I don't know. There's something about him that I bought it. Kevin Pollock and Demi Moore, I think they play their roles really well. Kevin Bacon, I think, is excellent in this. And you really see the interactions between his character, between Jack and Danny. And you can see the friendship, but yet also sort of this contentious relationship because they are on opposite ends. It's just, it's really, really well done, surprisingly well written, but it's excellently portrayed by the, by the actors. And you mentioned Jack Nicholson. Dude's on another level in this. I think he's in it the perfect amount of time. I think for Jack Nicholson, this role is, I'm not saying on par, but perhaps somewhat equivalent to uh, Silence of the Lambs and Anthony Hopkins, right? This is his Hannibal Lecter. He he kind of comes in, he's, he's this obvious villain without being an obvious villain. He's barely in the movie, but the scenes he is in are intensely memorable, right? The quote from this movie is, you know, you can't handle the truth, and yes, I did, right? Like, all of this stuff. He's in this movie for three scenes. 
Three scenes, yeah. which, by the way, what Tim was talking about, he made $10 million for three scenes. It is the perfect amount of time. His portrayal of Colonel Jessup, it's awesome. It's awesome. I'm, I have a hard time talking about this movie critically or or intelligently because I'm such a big super fan. Like, it's just, it's just <laughs> one of those things that you just struggle. You know there's things wrong with it. I just can't see him. I just can't see him. I, I'm, I'll put one thing out, which is a little strange and jumped right out to me. <laughs> it's the scene at the end where they're kind of having their major breakthrough. Um, you know, Danny's kind of, he, he's had all his, his, his booze. He's been out at the bar. He comes home soaking wet and they have this breakthrough and then they jump in the car and he drives. I, they're going to pick up Joanne, I think. Right. Are you talking yeah, about the Demi Moore character? Joanne. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. okay. Rain, he is... The rain machine is, is on 11. <laughs> yeah. And he was wasted. Not five minutes ago. Oh, <laughs> that scene bothers How me every time. How do you think he got home? He was walking. He was yes. supposedly walking around town, right? He does say and that. he was out drinking. Yeah. He Correct. says he was walking? Yes. Okay. So he says he was walking around. He had been drinking, going for a walk, all this kind of stuff. He comes home. They have the whole big fight. You know, should we or should we not take the advice of the galactically stupid, right? I mean, that line also really bothers me. I'm telling you, I'll do the one-man play. I'll do it right now. But we also, <laughs> you know, and then, and so she storms out. She's embarrassed because she just put Downey on the stand and he bombed. And so she leaves. He's wasted face. And then they go after her and he's clearly driving. And it bothers me so much because not only is he, is he driving, Pollock's riding shotgun. And you could have solved this problem by just having them drive down the street with him as the passenger and shoot it from the other side. And yes. it's, it's such an easy thing and it feels so lazy. And this is one of the, okay. So this is one of those things when you watch a movie and it's, not really important, but it, it also kind of really is because it's like, was no one on set saying, was he not wasted 10 seconds ago? And <laughs> maybe some people, oh, it's been a while. She's still walking in the rain. It's been minutes since she left right. the house. You know what I mean? Like, how far is the metro? It ain't far. So I, I don't know. It, <laughs> it is if you're in Georgetown. <laughs> That's true. Oh, no. You know what? That is true. That is foggy true. Foggy bottom. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I don't know. It that is a trouble. <laughs> that is a troubling scene for sure. And it's just lazy filmmaking. And, and and another thing that would not fly in today's military, you get a DUI, you are in big trouble. Especially Maybe if not the lawyers, I don't know. I don't hear any lawyers <laughs> get DUIs. <laughs> I choose not to uh, uh lose my case. <clears throat> right, right, right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was laughing at that scene as well. I don't know. I just can't help it. With with all the one liners, the memorable scenes, it's a solid courtroom drama. I don't know. It feels it feels real more so than most. I think there's a lot of things you can pick apart, but at the end of the day, it's certainly his best in my book. It is what it is. If you if you went into this movie, filmed in ninety two, starring Tom Cruise, expecting a movie that didn't feel like the nineties and didn't have Tom Cruise, then you made a mistake, sir. Because they told you up front what this was. I give this movie a 9. This movie is my 9 out of 10. I love it. I love it. I love it. What did you guys think? I think I go maybe 6. I, I just... A 6? I'm just kidding. No, I, I think maybe. it's... I, you said baby. He said, I he's, he's giving the 6 because he doesn't want to tell me it's a 4. <laughs> I think it's... 
<laughs> I think it's a good movie. I don't have anything against it. Could I have gone the rest of my life never having seen it? And if somebody's at the end of the my I'd be like, yep, so and I never saw it. Like, I don't think it I don't think it does anything for me that is relevant. Like sort of how you felt about the great escape, right? I never necessarily felt like I was missing anything. I don't feel like I've gained anything. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I've seen now I've seen the movie where you know you can't handle the truth comes from. It's very hard to poke really any holes in it. And I love, again, I love procedurals. I just, I don't, it doesn't do anything for me that um, I can't maybe get from a, from, from another movie, essentially. Um, so I, that's where I think I go for six. Yeah, I, I'm with Tim. It was a good movie. The acting was great. I, I've seen it now. I've seen it twice. Now this is the second time I've watched it. Would I watch this if it was on TV? Or would I flip to The Great Escape? I'd probably flip to The Great Escape. That's kind of where I'm at with this. So mm-hmm. overall, I'd, I'd have to give this a five. Sorry, Frank. Oh, no, no, no. I, no apologies needed. I, I side a little more with Frank. Um, I'd probably give it about a seven. Because every great story comes down to man versus self. Even if it's you know man versus machine or man versus nature, it's always about developing as an individual and what makes a a movie good is identifying and following that person's development. And that's what this movie is about is about Tom Cruise developing as a man, as a person, as an officer through and everything else just kind of revolves around that. And so I, I like that aspect of it. I like the ideals that it's portrayed about honor and all that stuff. I don't like all the, the slitty eyed Marine chest thing like honor. Like, ah, right. turn down the cheese, please. I've had enough. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's it is a modern classic. I'll obviously watch it again. Um, it's there's cringy moments. The first uh, Colonel Jessup scene refers to everybody by first name. Again, the realism military they do that in the Air Force, but not in the real military, and definitely not in the Marine Corps. <laughs> yeah, Jessup and Markinson call each other their first names in front and of other people. In closed doors, that would be fine, but not in front of the other people, and definitely not calling your secretary out by first name. Uh, no, that's that's Lance Corporal, whatever, whatever, sitting out there. Not hey, hey, Mark, uh, get get the president on the phone. We're giving up and surrendering our positions to the Cubans. <laughs> right? But see, yeah. that's what Sorkin thinks happens, and that there there are moments yes. where you can call yes. it out, where you're just where it's just it's too it tries to be too clever for its own good. And, and, and that's one of those scenes, especially like we're surrendering our position in Cuba. Wait a minute. Maybe we should wait. Maybe we should. Tr- it's okay. All right. Like let's, this wouldn't happen. Right. Like right. you're not a smart, but it is, I, I do think it's the caricature that a lot of civilians expect from Agreed. military movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. John Wayne. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, right. <laughs> I don't know if I can if I can defame the Duke on your show, but um, you can't. I mean, he, he brings yeah. the in every one of them, even as Lieutenant Commander Wedge Donovan in the Fighting Seabees. That's what Americans like. You know, they like dead yeah. bad guys and war heroes. And so it's everything you expect from somebody that, you know, hasn't been on the military side. And I think it's it's the opposite side of the fence from from Jarhead, which is very yeah. realistic. So yeah. um, it's good entertainment. I think it's a good story. I can follow it well. I give it a seven. I love it. I love it. Guys, yeah. we did it. We watched <laughs> three movies. We talked about them. And you survived. Yeah, yeah no, this was so much fun. I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. It 
I, I loved sitting down and getting into these movies and, and going into it knowing, you know, that we were going to discuss it. I think Frank, uh, Tim, I think you made a good point that these were three good movies to watch together yeah, and absolutely. to compare and contrast. So I, I like, I really appreciate you guys bringing us on your show and this was so much fun to talk about. It's been yeah. great. Thank you. I'm so glad you guys had a good time and I'm hoping that we can convince you to come back. Like, yeah. Oh, soon. of course. <laughs> yeah. Commit. Yeah, I, <laughs> I absolutely love, um, Pinky promise. I, you're right. I love just having that perspective to keep us in check sometimes. Right. Especially with Jarhead. Oh, um, we would have demolished Jarhead <laughs> if we were yeah, just reviewing yeah. it by ourselves. Absolutely. Sure. sure. And, yeah, it, and it, you know, there's those times that just Frank has maybe been called out on it once or twice. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, you're totally buying into this movie, except for the fact that, you know, uh, what was the black lights weren't used in uh, 1973. Like, that's your problem oh, with this movie. Like, that was the conjuring when you guys were right. talking about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, you know, so we're, we're, we can get guilty of, of that kind of stuff for sure. It's like, oh, yeah, we're buying all the supernatural elements, but whoa, 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 hold up on the police procedural stuff, right? You know? <laughs> um, so it is, it is. It's really kind of great. And, uh, and I think that also makes sense of, you know, where you guys find yourself with your own show, right? Like, it's that really unique perspective. And I think, um, you know, you're providing that for, for people that need it. But, you know, bringing that to this show is awesome. And I absolutely loved having you guys. Yeah, no, thank you guys for the opportunity. I mean, it's re it, it is really nice to offer a fresh perspective on things that others might not consider. Yeah, um, totally. you know, whether it be in movies or other aspect of life. So, thanks. Well, next time we'll talk about other stuff besides military movies and really really stretch our legs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. For sure, let's do it. Well, thanks again. Yeah, I think that brings us home. Awesome. Right. So the, Thanks, the damn the torpedoes podcast, make sure you download it wherever you get your podcasts and, uh, and check it out, like subscribe, all that good stuff. And if you're listening to the positive reviews podcast, while you're there, just hit follow. You're there already. Just do it. You know, you want to do it. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> all right, guys. I think that pretty much wraps up the episode this week. And we want to once again, give a huge, huge thanks to Lisa and Ian from Damn the Torpedoes podcast. Um, thank them for coming on. Thank them for joining us for this talk. We had such a good time. Hope you guys yeah. did too. And cannot wait to have them back. And obviously, it goes without saying, if you haven't checked out their, their podcast, definitely do yourselves a favor. Go check it out. They're hilarious. Um, and it's also really insightful. I'm not in the military, neither is Alyssa, but we're married and we connect to it that way. Alyssa loves it. It's such a good show. Um, so definitely check it out. Tell your friends about it. Subscribe, all that jazz. Let's chat a bit about what you guys can expect in the coming weeks. So yes. we will be back next week as per usual with our pre-Thanksgiving episode. And we're going to do a deep dive into the movie Dan in Real Life. Yeah. Um, which I believe you can watch through a TV subscriber. I think you can get it on Xfinity or, or that kind of stuff. Um, Yay! But if not, give it a rent. It's, uh, it's worth it. Additionally, to let you guys know, we will be on break for Thanksgiving week. We, there will not be an episode Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. For obvious reasons, <laughs> we're going to be with family and take some time and enjoy the holiday and hope that you guys can as well. 
But we'll come back right after that and finish strong with the month of December. We'll take another break for Christmas. Yep. There will be a New Year's episode. And then after that, we're going to go on hiatus, a season one break, uh, before launching season two, the first Thursday of April of 2021. Yep. So we're going to go on break while we're on break, making awesome new content and getting things ready for season two. So season two will start the first Thursday of April and run mm-hmm. again through the new year. So every season we're going to do that April to the end of December. Um, so you guys can start setting your expectations and your calendars. Yeah, we're going to finish strong with, uh, you know, some fun Christmas stuff. We got some some ideas up our sleeves. We'll see what pans out. And uh, I don't know. I'm excited. I can yeah. Use a little joy and happiness, and uh, we'll also have a baby. Hopefully, by yeah, some point buddy. in there. So it'd be uh, weird if you didn't. Yeah, that would that would be a little <laughs> weird. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this works out really well actually for your paternity leave situation. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's unpaid, kinda, by the way, it's unpaid. I, I was sort of looking forward to the excuse of like, sorry, I have to go for two hours and watch a movie. Oh, I have to go again and record. You need to take the baby. But I can't imagine I'd be able to stay awake through most of that. So Yeah. And you, I mean, you're still going to do that a little bit because we'll be prepping season two. That's true. But it'll That's just true. be a less urgent thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Um. Yeah. No. So this should be really great. Between now and then, guys, still plenty of show coming your way. Um, yep that we're really excited about, really looking forward to. So keep tuning in, keep checking it out, tell your friends, subscribe and do all that stuff. And where can you do it? We are on the Podbean app. Podbean is our awesome podcast host. I posted the first episode this past week using Podbean and it took me like a fraction of the time, which I almost didn't even know what to do with myself. (laughs) <laughs> so check out the Podbean uh, app and, and our, our website is, is all that Podbean stuff now so if you go to pausereviews.com it'll take you there you can find other shows you can subscribe do all that stuff but of course we're still in all those same other places Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify Stitcher all that jazz um, subscribe wherever you listen give us a rating all that stuff helps tell your friends just keep listening we love doing the show we're so grateful also Instagram at pausedreviews and shoot us an email. Why not? Pausereviews at gmail.com. However you need to get in touch with us, we're here for you. Is that it? Did I That's cover it. everything? You got it. Yeah. And the Damn the Torpedoes podcast. Check them out. Yep. Other than that, guys, thank you so much for listening. And we will catch you next week with Dan in Real Life. As always, I'm your boy, Frank. And this is Tim. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. Peace.